Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I just kind of want to push back on that, as always, because I, as I'm sure you're aware, as for all our regular podcast listeners, I was not around last week, Sammy. I mean, Sammy was around, but I was not around. And I couldn't do the podcast without Ben. I, I think that's what... We've decided um, <laughs> that's the way it works. Although maybe we'll, we'll give it a shot later. Um, unfortunately, Ben got stuck in a natural disaster of sorts. Yeah. Of which his city was completely unprepared for. Uh, 1.1 million homes were wiped off the electrical grid due to an ice storm on a Wednesday. And we normally record on Thursday. And I, I, at first I was optimistic that maybe power would return to me. And we'd be able to go ahead with the show or maybe record a couple days later. But no, um, I, I didn't have electricity for 47 straight hours, Sammy. That was uh, unbelievable. In fact, I do think we're going to be talking about how that um, outage not only affect the podcast, but the vehicle that you were driving this week. Yes, exactly. Uh, but do you, do you have some more intro boilerplate that you want to get through before we get to that? Yeah, la la la, best buddies, um, all that stuff. Until there's an ice storm. <laughs> Until there's an ice storm. You can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, give them a list of publications that you write for. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, automotive news, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, let's get to it. What the heck happened? Listeners, um, last week when you had all that all that electricity just suddenly disappear from your life. Can you believe this, that Sammy regularly introduces us as best buds, but when I called him from my cold, dark condo in Montreal, begging to sleep on his floor, he said, I don't think so, Benjamin, and just click hung up the internet on me. Well, I, there was no click. I just tapped the little button on the screen that says hang up. It was it was enough of a it was, it was dramatic enough. You have to be honest with the people. Come on now. So what I had to do <laughs> was make the best of a bad situation. Uh, it was pretty bad. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I'm being dramatic about this ice storm. But so in, in 1998, Quebec famously had a really bad ice storm earlier in the winter. So we're not in the winter anymore. It's it's solidly spring right now. But the last time we had a big ice storm, it was I think February. Don't quote me on that. In 1998. And we're talking some towns in the province didn't have power for months. It really did a number on infrastructure. It knocked down a lot of the really tall, huge transmission towers that were serving major communities. And it was a big brouhaha. So yeah. fast forward to now. This time, there were a couple things that worked in favor and against the whole natural disaster situation. The thing that sucked was it was really concentrated in one area, which was great for people who were outside of that area. But great. That, I like that you say great for people. Nobody wants to be stuck in an ice storm anyway. Well, what I'm saying is most of the people who were affected by the ice storm were in Montreal. So <laughs> almost all of the homes that lost power for a long period of time were on the island. There were a couple of other places that were hit reasonably hard just to the uh, east of Montreal a little bit. And then in the Ottawa Gatineau area, which is a little bit to the northwest uh, or maybe not so much north, more, maybe more west. In any case, okay, it was all concentrated. So... 
it was easier for work crews to kind of get their repair on because they weren't spread over the whole province. The other thing that made it easier was the very, not the very next day, we, I'd say we had a solid 36 hours of freezing rain. And I mean, it coated every surface. My Within the first hour on Wednesday morning, my windows were completely opaque. Like they were yeah. just covered with ice. The tree in front of my house, every branch was covered in ice. Um, I, I left the house at noon to kind of go drive out into the world and see how bad things were. They were pretty bad. Uh, and when I came back two hours later, the tree in front of my house had snapped onto a minivan <laughs> that was parked just in front of where I had been parked. So I kind of dodged a bullet there. Um, but 36 hours later... Hold on. You're telling me you took your car out um, for a spin. And when you came back, there was a, a tree a down tree yeah, on in the, the area where you would have had the car direct it was my tree like i guess technically that is wild legally responsible for that van but uh i uh, talked to the owner and everything's good but uh I, <laughs> what do you mean everything's good what i wouldn't worry about it but just to say that after 36 hours of that we kind of warmed back up to springish temperatures so it went up above freezing and that really helped because on the friday the ice was mostly gone and I would say that you know 80% of the trees were de-iced, the roads were de-iced, so that made it easier for repair crews to get things going. But so many branches were down, and so over a thousand trees in Montreal and three thousand calls to the city about down branches that it took out so much of the infrastructure that, like I said, I was out of electricity for 47 hours. I have friends who only got it back uh, yesterday, which was like six days with no electricity. And my internet infrastructure was gone completely. Like, it, it, even if I'd wanted to do the podcast when the power came back with Sammy, I had no internet until Sunday evening. And yeah. at that point, we just decided to delay the podcast until our normal recording time. So it was a big kerfuffle, Sammy. And what made it interesting for me was the vehicle I was driving last week when all this went down was the 2023 BMW i7, which is an dun, 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 electric vehicle. So you basically had a ginormous battery parked around your your vehicle, your property. See, that is the most optimistic way to look at things. I, I think a lot of people, when they hear blackout and electric vehicle, they automatically default to like disaster mode. Yeah, you're not going anywhere, anywhere now. Anywhere and, and, now. and I think that the idea of not being able to charge at home is it, it takes a larger significance in the mind than the idea that your gas station down the road also doesn't have power <laughs> and you're not going to be able to get gas there. And I know I've said this to a few people and they come back with, well, you know, gas stations have generators and they can get things going. Okay. First of all, maybe, maybe some gas stations have generators. <laughs> I've never seen or heard that before. It, I guess I've never really been stuck in a really bad outage before. Well, in, in my neighborhood, there were no gas stations with generators, but also the argument you could also have a generator at home, I guess is also true. So yeah. if you were really wanting to charge your car, you could do it that way. But um, the the other thing about even if a gas station does have a generator, you have to hope that you're not waiting in a line of like 50 cars to get to that gas station and that the fuel tanks don't run dry by the time you get there. Because in a natural disaster situation, it's possible that the infrastructure around you is inaccessible. Right? Like, they're not going to yeah. get a delivery of fuel. The trucks can't get through, whatever the reasons are. If there's too much ice, if there's... Like, I the, the night... Of the main, when the power, my power went out at about 6.30 at night. And I went out a couple of hours later to see how bad things had gotten. And driving around my neighborhood was difficult because there were so many trees down. I kept having to back up and, you know, do U-turns just to find my way through. Um, and the power outages were weird in the sense that I have an alley behind my house and there's another street directly behind that. And the people on that street didn't lose power. So mm -hmm. I could see my neighbors enjoying life 
from my dark, from my <laughs> darkened candlelit kitchen. Uh, some wow. of them ran extension cords over. And they didn't over. bring any of that electricity over? Oh, no. somebody brought an extension. Some did, but I lost all of the food in my fridge and freezer, which no. really sucks. I mean, it, it sucks when the power comes back on and you open the fridge. And you just you. We had just gone grocery shopping like a couple of days beforehand, mm-hmm. and it was just all gone. But I mean, I'm getting back to the EV thing. So when the power went out, I had about 85% battery on the car. I'd had it for two days. The battery is really big. It's like, I want to say 101 kilowatts or something like that. And um, I, I hadn't done a lot of driving on it. When I picked it up, it was about 100%. And in terms of driving range, I think it's like 318 miles, like best case scenario. And okay. there's a weird range display in the i7 where it gives you like three values. There's like... The lowest value, which I guess is if you're, you know, hardcore or pedal to the metal all the time. There's a high value, which is maybe best what, if case. if you turn off, like, all your HVAC? Climate and- control, maybe you're coasting downhill, maybe you have the most aggressive regen. And that one was showing me, like, close to 300 miles. But hey, at, that's not bad. Yeah, and at 85%, though, like, normal driving, normal heat, I had two more than 200 miles of driving. So that's that's quite a bit. But okay. um, that was probably enough to get me through the week. But I had planned on a road trip to my parents' place for the weekend, which is about 90 Hold miles on. away. I want to talk to you about what this vehicle was doing during this blackout. So you just, like, had it parked there. I'm going to get – I'll get to that. Don't worry Were you that. Were you charging all of your, like, devices and laptops and stuff in the, so, in the, in the, in the BMW? When I first started – That's I have what a, I would have done. It's a massive power bank, right? I have a UPS for my, for my oh. office, right? And uh, to, to, to charge my phone, I would turn the UPS on and I would use a quick charger. And I had about, I want to say, 90 minutes of power on that. So I was able to charge that in a power bank, but that didn't last forever. And once that had died down, uh, because the only way I had internet access was through my phone, I used a different mm-hmm. provider, which was, I mean, I highly recommend anyone out there, don't use the same provider for your mobile data as you do for your home. <laughs> Even though it seems like you're getting a deal, which you probably are, you're... I always the bundling, Ben, the bundling, bundling is appealing, but I always think in terms of redundancy and having a separate provider is a great redundancy. So I, my only internet was through my phone. So it was draining quite quickly. And eventually I did have to start going out to the car and using the car. But the other thing about the car was it has its own Wi-Fi connection. It's pretty fast. And the, the i7 itself, I mean, we haven't really talked about the car yet. This is the flagship electric car for BMW. Like, it is a huge executive sedan. Uh, it has all sorts of luxuries. And it's primarily intended to be enjoyed from the rear seat, just like the Genesis G90 that we talked about a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, I, I, I would, once the battery got down to about 65%, I decided to see if I could find a charging station. Because as I mentioned, the... Um, the power situation in Montreal was not static. It was like some grids would come on, some grids would go off, and there were little pockets of electricity all around. And this is something else that I think people don't realize about EVs and natural disasters. It's um, There are only so many places you can go get gas, but electricity is a much more better distributed resource, right? Yeah. So in Montreal, we have a lot of street side charging stations and they cost like a dollar an hour. They're very, very cheap. They're about seven kilowatts to 11 kilowatts, depending on where you set up. So it's, it's slow level two charging, but it's, it's about the same speed as I would charge at home. So I I went on the prowl and my first worry was everyone's going to be doing this, right? Like every EV owner who can't charge at home is going to be out looking for charging and I'm not going to find anything. But I like, I went to my gym and a block from my gym, 
there were two or three that were completely available. Are these fa- DC fast chargers or just level two? No, like I said, it's it, these are, it's street side level two charging. Okay, yeah. So I plugged in there. I went to the gym. And then I went back in the car and I just hung out in the car and got warm and like folded down the giant 8K screen at the back seat of the BMW. The what now? There 8K? Is, there is an enormous super high def screen so big that it blocks all rearward view. Like you can't drive with the screen deployed. And strangely, there's no um, camera mirror for the for the BMW. Like you know how every car yeah, has yeah, a camera mirror? Yeah. The rear view video camera. It, the i7 does not have that. And if it does, I couldn't find how to activate it. Um, in any case, I wasn't driving. So I'm sitting in the back. I, fo- the, I, I reclined the seat as far as it can go. There's like an ottoman. The, the front seat folds forward and there's like a footstep on the seat itself if the ottoman's not good enough for you. And then you have this kind of controller in the door that lets you either link your phone to the screen or you can just like stream Netflix or YouTube or whatever. And it was funny because... <laughs> it pulled up Netflix, or sorry, it pulled up YouTube right away and it had all these like recommended channels and they're all German channels. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. And I don't know why because I'm in Canada and I'm geolocated in Canada. But anyway, I guess it's on brand. And then the first one I chose was like, it was like this techno channel and it started playing like 90s Euro music, which was super German. And um, the other nice thing about the i7 is it has all these privacy screens. So you can put a screen up in the back and along the sides and you're completely blocked from the view of the public. They can't see your face because the screen is the, the, the display screen is so huge in front of you and you're in this, you could be doing anything in there as I guess what I'm saying. And so I did, yeah. I did anything I wanted in there for a few hours for like a dollar an hour while I was juicing up the car and using the internet. It was perfect. It was like a lifeboat, Sammy, in this really kind of terrible, crappy power situation. I mean, a, a fully loaded lifeboat with oh, 8K video. 8K video. No and the internet, the internet is so good in the in the BMW. If that's the stream, 8K. It's got to be a big pipe. <laughs> the other, the other thing that was uh, there's a few other unusual things about the i7. Um, you can get leather seats in it, but if you want like the highest end model, so I was driving the, I guess it's the M60, and uh, it, it has um, wool seats. Instead of leather and has wool carpets as well, which is, I guess is a okay. very Rolls Royce move to so, pull. Would that feel more? That would be a little bit warmer, wouldn't it? I guess so. I mean, it's softer. And I mean, in in the case of in your use case scenario, which you're in the middle of a of a I mean, blackout, the, the seats are heated, right? So it doesn't really matter. Although I can tell you this, I had trouble like on the way. I I did a road trip, and on the way back, the seats got hot. I found it hot in the car, and I turned the cooling on, and I couldn't really feel any cooling through the wall. So I don't know if they're just too warm. Oh no. Um, but it's an unusual option. I don't know okay. if it's BMW trying to be more like Rolls Royce, if they're just trying to be different, or if they want to kind of offer like an animal product free interior, which is something I think more manufacturers are trying to do, especially in the luxury side of things. Right. Um, they're, they're kind of cool seats are like a gray, they're soft. It's, it's nice to have something different, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, otherwise then when, when power was restored and you got to drive the car a little bit more, how does this thing fare? Do you think this is a, this is the flagship EV? Like it feels like one thoroughly? Well, it was interesting to have that experience after so recently driving the G90 because which I, is not electrified. No, but it is a flagship sedan of roughly the same size. Okay. The uh i7 starts at about 120k, which makes it about $21,000 more than the than a fully loaded G90. I'm yeah. sure mine was a lot more expensive than that because I had a lot of features. But there's there's a number of things I liked about the car. I, the exterior styling 
it's it's a very it's almost a brutalist kind of vehicle. It's very square. It's very rectangular. Sorry, I'm saying the same thing twice. It has a lot of right angles. Square or rectangle? <laughs> I can't tell. I can't tell. But it's very upright. It's, it almost has like a truck like look from the front. Um, yeah. When I was doing all those U turns, trying to avoid branches and stuff, it had four wheel steering, and that really really made the car feel a lot smaller than it actually was. So okay. I, I appreciated Great. that. Uh, it term, is a big car, though, right? It it's is, long. It, it is a very big car. It's it's a seven series, an electric seven series, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of power, it has two electric motors. It's five hundred and thirty six horsepower. It's quite quick. It's zero to sixty in four point one seconds. It feels fast pretty much all the time. It doesn't feel like a sports sedan though because it's quite heavy with the big battery. I mean, that's I want to say that battery is similar in size to the uh, Ford Lightning. Is that possible? One hundred and one kilowatts. Yeah, I think you're not far off. I think maybe the Lightning has more. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe the Lightning was 120, but um, it it was quite comfortable on the highway. I, I did take that trip to my parents' place. I was able to find – this is another thing I was concerned about because I was worried that people would be leaving the city to try and find power, right? And I was worried that superchargers along the highway would, of course – or not superchargers, but DC fast chargers – that they would be crowded, but I had no issues. Um, I found a 175 that charged it at 75 kilowatts, mm. and that was enough to, you know, I think 15, 20 minutes. I was up about up from about ooh, 40% to or 45% to 80% again. So that that's reasonably okay. quick. Were you disappointed to see a 175 and only getting? Yeah, you know, I mean that that was not great. It, do you think I, it's part of the weather? No, I think it was just the, the the place that I stopped at had a bunch of 50s, a couple hundreds, and a 350 and a 175. And the 350 and the 175 were on the same unit. I could not get the 350 to work whatsoever. It just wouldn't connect to the car. The 175 did. Uh, I also, my, someone else had pulled in while I was there in an ID4 and they had tried the 100 kilowatt. They could not get that to work either. And they said that in their experience, only the 50s worked. So I, I think I rolled the dice on the 175 and I was okay. Okay. Um, but the car is, it's pretty great. Uh, if, if there I had to pick a things that I didn't like about it, um, I found that it had a, a driving assist system that is supposed to have automatic lane changing. That did not work for me whatsoever. I don't know if there's a, something you need to do to activate it. I, I had it activated on the infotainment screen. It just never happened. Uh, as soon as Weird. I, in fact, as soon as I used the turn signals on the car, it deactivated the driver assist plus, which meant I had to grab the wheel and make the turn. Otherwise it was going to go off the road. That's not a great, well, go off the road. It was, it was no longer going to stay within the lines. That's I love the idea. It's like, it's instantly dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not a great way to, um, in my opinion, to, it's not great UI to yeah. have that happen in a, in a driving assist system. The other issue I had that was a little bit strange was it, it's supposed to pay. You're supposed to keep watching the road, right? And it watches your eyes to do that. I had some polarized lenses or not necessarily polarized, but they were like transition glasses, prescription glasses Mm -hmm. for a while. It kept every 10 to 15 minutes disconnecting because it said that I wasn't paying attention. It couldn't see my eyes. Um, and it's, it flashed up a warning saying, maybe your sunglasses are too much. I altered oh, the position of the steer. Yeah. I altered the position of the steering wheel to have it be a little bit higher because oftentimes the sensor for your eyes is like right at the top of the gauge cluster yeah. that seemed to fix the problem. So 
this is an issue I've had in more than one vehicle where the sensors for your eyes do not line up with wherever my eyes are. Like, I guess I don't fall within the right percentile for that. That can be frustrating on a longer trip. Um, Interesting. It, it wasn't the, the, the third thing with the driving assist system is it didn't always detect my hand on the wheel. Sometimes my hand would be on the wheel and it would be doing the full assist and then it would suddenly start flashing yellow and say, your hand is not on the wheel. And I, you know, I don't really know what to do in that situation. You're like, right. my hand is on. I can't put another hand no, on. No, I can't. Hand. I can't. It's like in Super Troopers where they're like, I can't pull over any more than I'm already pulled over. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> um. I mean, we've been saying this for a while. The the UI in like these hands-free systems, they need to be either more consistent with one another, or they need to be like bigger and bolder and louder and in your face to let you know when is the time to take off my hands from the steering wheel. Can I, you know, can it change lanes like confidently? Um, I don't think all of those features are there yet. I even think it's funny because I was driving some um, Genesis models. I think it was a GV70. And, you know, the, the PR people and the, and the internet were telling me that it has this uh, highway driving assist that can do lane changing. And I'm trying to do this, and it's like, it's not working. And I finally realized that in order to turn that on, you have to go through the infotainment screen. Rather than the gauge cluster, I think some cars also put, you know, the, the driving assist in the gauge cluster rather than the infotainment system. Yeah. And it's just like this, all these little, like, inconsistencies. And then it turns out that... When you press that uh, signal, you have to have your hands on the wheel, even though it will do all of the functions like it, automatically. It just wants your hand on the on the wheel. That's um, reassurance, or it just wants you know it wants you to 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 learn how to change lanes yourself, maybe. Well, the, the muscle, BM- it's giving you the muscle memory. The BMW was the same thing. I had to go to the infotainment to turn it on, and I did it twice to make sure that I hadn't forgotten the first time that I thought I did it. And I still couldn't get it to react properly. Weird. Uh, there's another thing. There's a couple. There's a funny thing. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, Ben, calm down. <laughs> I'm too excited. There's a so funny exciting. thing. It's a funny thing about this car. You know how we're always talking about Swarovski crystals when it comes to BMW because they have this partnership with Swarovski, and they do a lot of interior stuff where the shifter and the little nub for the uh, to drive select and whatever will be Swarovski crystallized so that you know the sun comes through the 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 moonroof and like dazzles your eyes and it's it's kind of frustrating and in a bright glare situation. But the i seven, the i seven takes it a step further with this thing called Swarovski crystal headlights. Ooh. So remember how BMW made a really big deal about like laser headlights for a while? Yeah, that we couldn't. I thought we couldn't get. Well, we did get them on the M cars. There's a number of M cars where you can get the, uh, um, that particular feature, and then they kind of restricted it just the M cars because I think they had a supply issue where they couldn't get all the parts they needed for enough laser headlights. So they're like, okay, we'll make it an M feature, and everyone else is kind of out in, out in the dark. Uh, but for the i7, you can't get laser headlights at all. You can only get these Swarovski headlights, and it's like they have a whole web page where they're talking about the craftsman of the headlights and it's the new light on the road and it's called the crystal headlight so i don't i can't (laughs) there's a really strange if you go to the website there's like a big it's not even a press release it's like bmw.com has a magazine section and there's a full feature on these headlights the the second picture on the feature is a photo of they don't tell you what it is 
it's it's I think where the Swarovski crystals, the village where they're made, and it's like an office building with like a workstation, and written on the side is everything you want is on the other side of fear, and this is in like yeah. giant letters. That's on brand for your automaker, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what like. Is that a challenge? Like, how am I supposed to feel about that? Well, I think people were afraid of Swarovski crystal headlights, <laughs> and uh, you know, you purchased, you spent a, you've uh, you've up, upgraded your headlights now, and uh, there you go. What's funny is this village is called Wattens, like W A T T E N S. Watts, mm-hmm. you know, electricity. Haha, <laughs> it's a good joke. Uh, but they, there's another name. Not only do they call them crystal headlights, they're actually called the official name BMW Iconic Glow Crystal Headlights. And the yeah. i7 is the first vehicle to have them. On this site, there's all sorts of like crazy videos of like people pouring molten glass into a square. And then there's like a, an in, a very intense, looks like a sculpture of glass crystals and uh, a whole bunch of pottery stuff. And But they're really into it. They don't really go into necessarily how the crystals improve the lighting experience. I don't know if they do. And I I think this might be just like branding. It's really hard to tell. They also call the crystals advanced crystals, like A, capital A, <laughs> capital C, which is like, sounds like something like a course you would take at a community college to heal somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like a totally. Reiki course or something like that. Well, I think, I think Swarovski crystals do all have to go through that, that course. And I also would bet that those crystals are not I mean, the crystals for healing are not Swarovski crystals, right? Probably not, but I can tell you that the Swarovski crystals are lead—they're they're lead free. Ooh, <laughs> and they're the most responsible and transparent crystals in the market because conscious luxury is part of their DNA. That's as much as I can find out. There's a cool picture. That sounds though. like a lot of nonsense. I'm going to tell you straight <laughs> up. That sounds like a lot of nonsense. There is a and cool secondly, picture. I thought Mercedes had Swarovski headlights as well. No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's just BMW. There's a neat. But there might not be advanced capital A crystal capital C. Yeah, I don't think they can time travel or anything like the Swarovski ones do. If you reach, there's a neat picture on the site too of like a guy's or a girl's hand inside this giant tray. And I mean, like, there must be a million crystals in this tray. (laughs) And they're just holding them. And I don't know if those are the crystals that are used in the headlights or not. It's really unclear. I wish there was more information about how the crystals work because. It's, it's There's a little cool. animated graphic of the headlights just shimmering. Yeah, well, they say it's supposed to twinkle like a star-filled sky. I don't know if that makes it easier to see the road ahead. <laughs> or if people see you coming and, like, put their their hands up or squint I mean, or they whatever. look good. It's, I'm not going to argue with the results, right? It's just – this is just some funny branding. Um, anyway, so what I will say, kind of wrapping things up about the i7 – Mm-hmm. I, I had a great EV experience during the blackout. I actually have a friend who kept their refrigerator running for five days using the vehicle to house electrical outlet on their EV. So EVs Which one? Can, Do you know what EV it was? I want to say it's a Hyundai. I think it was okay, an cool. Ionic. Um, uh, and uh, in any case, the the use the use of an EV during a blackout is not something you should be afraid of. It actually it's an opportunity, um, and it can give you an edge that you might not have previously considered. The other thing I want to say about the i7 wrapping it up though is compared to the EQS, this is a much better car I think in every respect because it say what you will about the giant grill and the lighting on the grill and how extroverted it kind of and as I was mentioning, it's a very large imposing vehicle. It certainly makes more of a statement than the EQS from Mercedes-Benz, which I feel is just completely boring to look at. And on the inside, BMW has done a much better job of balancing organic, human-like design 
versus just having screens everywhere that are completely black and opaque when the car is not running. So those things... Yeah, I'm actually, though, I will say, in general, though, the German uh, design uh, element here is is limited. There's not very... there's not, th- Those aren't two good examples of excellent automotive design. But I'm talking about EVs, large flagship EVs, and there aren't okay. very many out there, right? So we kind of have to look at what there is, what does exist... Um, and I, I like Genesis much more than either of them. I mean, mm-hmm. the BMW is, is quite good. But the EQS, honestly, compared to other Mercedes-Benz designs, is really a step backwards. So if you're looking for a flagship EV and you're not sure which one to pick, I would strongly suggest the i7. It just has so much more personality and I think it's going to age much better. And it just wasn't... What What's interesting about the design of the vehicle is... Mercedes-Benz so clearly took their car to a wind tunnel and then shaved it down to a bar of soap so that it would be as slippery as possible. BMW is somehow achieving very similar range or at least very good range without having to do that. So I don't know what the exact argument is on the Mercedes side for the decisions they made. Like it feels like as designs evolve every with each passing year, that car just looks more and more out of date. I mean, out of date the instant it rolled out of the showroom. Yeah. I think uh, I think you're onto something with that. Um, anything else you want to add about this i7? Are you looking forward to more flagship sedans rather than SUVs when it comes to you know EVs? I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. I prefer driving mm. them, and they're a little bit lighter out of the box, so you're going to get better range. So there's that. I mean, I like big sedans. Uh, it's easier to drive in the city than a great big SUV. So I guess question mark. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, all right, that's interesting. Um, we do have one comment from a well, not comment, a question from a listener that I was hoping that we had the time to answer today. Ben, are you are you feeling up to answering some more questions here? Yeah, I I, I think so. I, I and if you want to answer it, you can do that too. I, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Oh, I don't have any answers. I just ask uh, questions all day, every day. This is a listener, James, who messages us and asks, uh, "What are the advantages of cars and SUVs having bigger and bigger wheel sizes?" It seems to him that the larger wheels are heavier, they're more expensive, and they have a worse ride. So why are so many automakers going to 19 and 20 inch wheels? And if there's uh, advantages that he was not aware of, and he even says he remembers a time when 17 inch wheels were considered large. I remember that too. I so what, what I remember the recently the thing that kind of blew me away was my Cadillac, which is 18 years old at this point. It had 18 inch wheels, you know, from the factory in 2004, which is a really big Ooh. deal. And now the exact same tire size, like 245, uh, 45, 18, is like a Hyundai Elantra. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, what, wheel sizes have been getting out of control, actually. Not just big, but out of control. And you can find 22s on, on vehicles. Um, I blame I Ludacris. Say common. I blame Ludacris for that one. I, I, I can't lose commonly, with 22s. But it feels like, I think the GV7, uh, GV80 can get... 23s or 22s like those are huge wheels not only are they big you know james is 100 right i i immediately notice that the small side the, the thinner sidewalls lead to a an awful absolutely awful um ride quality and then for evs the bigger wheels get reduced range so um what's the deal ben the deal is there are no advantages really to having larger wheels on most vehicles. And there's the, one advantage for the automaker. They can charge you a lot of money for them and for the replacement. There's that. But I, 
the reason we see them is because designers love big wheels because big wheels look fantastic when they're filling large wheel wells. And it's a great way to fill a space. Like if you have a big SUV with big ground clearance, you don't want to have necessarily the ability to put both your hands on top of that tire, right? Like <laughs> you want to visually shrink things down in the wheel well area. And the doing that with a big wheel is the easiest way to do that. We see with so many vehicles now being SUVs, we're going to see even more larger wheels. If, if you look at concept cars from 15 years ago, let's say, you go back to like the late 2000s, almost every concept car had gigantic wheels because they look great on when they're rotating yeah. on a on a platform at a car show. And every time I remember back then, people would be like, oh, yeah, this is kind of how it's going to look when it's in production. But of course, it will have smaller wheels. That was always the caveat. And now, like, you don't hear that anymore. It's like they show a concept car with gigantic wheels and then people are just like, yeah, it's going to have 24s. And you're like, wow, like... <laughs> Uh, that shows how different things have, have come. There is one use case where larger wheels are an advantage or can be an advantage, and that's when it comes to performance cars. So the larger a wheel you have in general, loosely, the bigger a tire you can put on it, the wider a tire you can put on it. So if you have a car that you need more grip for, you can uh, spec a larger wheel and that will help you um, fit the width of tire that you need. You see this a lot on high-performance SUVs, which specifically re rely a lot on mechanical grip in because they're they're so top-heavy and he just heavy in general that mechanical grip plays a huge role in their ability to accelerate with the all-wheel drive system and to turn corners. So they need great big tires to do that. There is a point, though, where you get into diminishing returns because, as James points out, the bigger the wheel, the heavier it is. The unsprung weight of a wheel can start taking away yep. from its ability to perform, especially, you know, stuff like braking and whatnot becomes um, adversely affected. Yeah. So there's a balance where you have to go to that. I don't know. I'm not a fan of massive wheels. It's, not my, it's not my thing. I, I totally see the design elements, but I think that, you know, I think, you know, 20 to 19 is not that massive of a, of a visual difference. And sure, yeah, 17 or 18s to 20s or 22s. Yeah, you notice it. But I, I honestly feel like 17s are really, really a, a very versatile size for, yeah. for most people. Like, I my Jeep is on 15s, yeah. you know? And that's yeah. fine. If, if I wanted to put 17s on it, I'd actually have to lift it. You know, that's, Both of my cars are on 17s. Yeah, I, the, the largest wheel I have is, as I mentioned, the Cadillac, it's on 18s. Mm -hmm. And... It, the the other issue with big wheels is they're so expensive to replace yeah. and the tires are so expensive and so many people with <clears throat> excuse me with large wheels like that when it comes to winter time and they have to go to a winter tire they actually size down to a 17 or an 18 because the winter tires are just so much more affordable at that size yeah I, that's one of my one of the things i noticed the most is that replacement tires are not like budget cripplingly expensive if you have to replace them for you know all four of them or if you have a um a puncture or something that needs to be replaced, that's also um, an issue. I will say, why don't, why don't even talk about spare tires? It's harder to put big wheels in spare tire like uh, wells as well. And that's right? why, yeah, and you, you often don't even see them trying, right? Like yeah. you get you get a half-size spare or a can of fix-a-flat. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you, James. Big wheels are, are a tough thing to, a tough thing that's going on these days. I don't know if we're going to see the return of smaller wheels. I hope so because... Like I mentioned, EVs, which are pushing a lot of the uh, the direction for some automakers, they get better fuel economy when they're on these smaller wheels. 
and they use more of these, um, what are they called? Ro- low rolling resistance tires, and they have less weight. So, you know, hopefully we'll start to see a few more of these uh, smaller wheels on the, on the road. But one area I, where, I'm not super ho- hopeful. One area where I think we're kind of starting to see small wheels make a renaissance is with the, the new obsession with steel wheels on certain pickup trucks and uh, SUVs. Like you can get it on the Maverick and you can get them on the Bronco, I believe. And I don't think those are over 17 inches. Um, okay. I think they're actually, I don't think there's anything bigger than that. And I guess it would be because, I mean, steel wheels are heavy. <laughs> they are just heavy no matter what size they are. And if you started to make really big steel wheels, then it would be problematic. So I'm assuming that's the reason. And in this is like a weird styling fetish that's actually kind of giving us reasonably sized wheels again. I love my steelies. I have great steelies. I'm not a they're fan. My- I have steelies on my uh, 2.5 RS for the winter, but I have like hubcaps over them. Are they black steelies or silver steelies? They're black. I just don't... I have silver or gray steelies on my FRS. They like I get comments on them all the time. Well, I mean, you've got you yeah, your FRS is like super stanced out. It has like the no, big it has it has the big like what's what's the word um uh bo, bo, bosozuku wing on it and the giant exhaust that like loops Taking around out and going straight to the sky. And yep. the hater pipes and all that. Yeah. So I mean, Maybe that's what they're commenting on. That's true. Um, all right, that was a fun episode, Ben. I think we should tell the people where they can find more. In fact, I'm not. I, I'm just going to go ahead and take the initiative and tell people where to find our, our our latest episodes. If you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you'll find all of our latest episodes, and you'll find the ability to uh, subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of buttons at the top of the page. Additionally, you can send us a message on our website. There's a contact form. You fill it out just like James did. And those messages, those comments, those questions you may have will land right there in our inbox. And we really appreciate that. But if you want to take a more personal approach, we encourage you to use social media. Um, Ben is on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin, where he's posting all sorts of fun stuff about his his adventures, his day-to-day adventures. And you can find me quietly seething on Twitter, just like everybody else enduring. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Occasionally I chime in and let people know where they can find my latest uh, stories. But other than that, it's just, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen on Twitter. All right. And uh, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, we've got um, the Telluride, the Kia Telluride, which has been refreshed pretty significantly this year Wait, to I, talk about. I also drove the Telluride. Is, is, this a, is this an unusual coincidence or is this planned or is this just Providence smiling on us? A little bit of uh, all three of those those situations, I think. Okay, well, I'm uh, not gonna co- I'm not gonna commit to any of them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening, and hopefully you'll be back for some Telluride goodness next week. Bye.